Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk About Health in Africa on the HSS podcast with me, Lenia Swenda, where we talk to leaders who are transforming healthcare in Africa. Today, my guest on Let's Talk About Health in Africa is Dr. Michael Makanga, the Executive Director of the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership. EDCTP, which supports collaborative clinical trials and clinical studies on poverty-related infectious diseases, as well as building capacity for conducting clinical trials and research related to these illnesses in Africa. We have been talking about neglected infectious diseases, which are commonly known as neglected tropical diseases, which is a group of diseases that affect the most vulnerable people in societies worldwide. These illnesses are neglected in terms of the R&D funding allocated to them compared to other illnesses like HIV, AIDS, malaria, and TB. So there is an urgent need to develop new or improved products and to optimize the use of existing medications in order to achieve disease elimination of these neglected tropical infectious diseases. Some of the available treatment options are very toxic and they kill a large number of the patients who take them. Now, global investment in R&D of new products such as diagnostics, medicines and devices for tackling neglected infectious diseases continues to be very limited and therefore the toolbox for preventing, detecting and treating neglected infectious diseases is extremely limited with very few options, if any, for some of the diseases. joining us on Let's Talk About Health in Africa with me, Lenia Swenda, where we talk to leaders who are transforming healthcare in Africa. My guest today is Dr. Michael Makanga, the Executive Director of the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership, EDCTP, which supports collaborative clinical trials and clinical studies on poverty-related infectious diseases, as well as developing the capacity for conducting clinical trials and related research on the African continent. Dr. Makanga, welcome to Let's Talk About Health in Africa. Thank you very much, Lenias, for this invitation. I'm very delighted to be here. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine, Dr. Makanga. So let's start by discussing what your organization, the European and Development Country Clinical Trials Partnership does. Tell us more about the scope of what the EDCTP is mandated to do and how it works across the continent. Thank you very much. The European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership is a partnership that has been running for the last 18 years. It is an initiative of the European Union in partnership with the African member states. And in this case, it is mandated to accelerate the development of medical interventions against poverty-related infectious diseases. And these include malaria, HIV AIDS, tuberculosis, respiratory tract infections, diarrhea diseases, diseases of epidemic potential, 
such as Ebola, uh, coronavirus. And we uh, develop these medical interventions through clinical development. That is all phases of clinical development. Although the product, the, uh, the program mainly focuses on let's take development of these products, making them available also to the people that need the most. That is covering all phases of clinical development from phase one to four and product focused implementation research. Additionally, we pay special attention to building capacity in the countries where we operate. Currently, we have activities in 41 African countries and 19 European countries. Right, so, so in fact, this research is happening uh, between Europe and Africa, African, the 41 African countries you're working on. It's, it's a collaboration where you have research happening on both sides of the two continents. Absolutely. And in fact, when we talk about clinical trials, these are happening principally in Africa. And over 60% of our budget is actually spent on the African continent. We currently have collaboration involving 305 African institutions involved in the program and 203 European institutions. So we really foster collaborative research. And where necessary, we also have global collaboration, other partners that may contribute to the research and development activities. That's, that is really quite uh, amazing, the, the large number of institutions that are involved in this and the true collaborative nature of the work that you're doing, that it's, it's, it's on both sides, so that presents opportunities to learn from one another on either side. So we have just had actually a webinar on clinical research in Africa, talking about some of the challenges and shortcomings of the research environment and what needs to be done to improve it. So we will go into that a little bit uh, later. But for now, um, you're funding the, the R&D of products for detecting, for preventing, and treating a range of these diseases that are affecting people in, in, in our communities on the African continent. Can you talk to us about your focus within the neglected infectious diseases that are within your scope? And perhaps, you know, how much of that, you know, how much of your, your activities are supporting or focusing on neglected infectious illnesses? We've just been having a series of conversations on this, hence our interest at the moment in talking about them. Thank you very much. As you realize, this is a broad range of diseases. And uh, in this case, our focus is on the development of medicines in, the, in this case, new drugs and improved drugs, vaccines and diagnostics. And on the side of the population, we pay special attention to vulnerable populations. And these include pregnant women and breastfeeding women, children. And on this side, we look at the newborns and children all ages, and paying special attention also to adolescents, and individuals with co-infections and comorbidities, as well as the effects of genetic diversity in Africa. And this is, um, these are areas that we pay special attention to, uh, to ensure that these populations that are often left out in clinical trials, we generate 
results that will inform policy and practice to ensure that they receive the medicines that they need. But that said, we cover all clinical development of these medical interventions. No, it's very interesting, the focus that you have on neglected populations. And, and I think that's a really important aspect to, to, to focus on, particularly because, you know, one of the things that has come out of the conversations we have been having on neglected infectious diseases is that, you know, there are large groups of people who are completely just left out. There are no treatment options for them, pediatric uh, formulations, for example, you know, treatments for that are targeting children that are suitable for children are particularly lacking. So, so it, it, it's really great to hear that your work actually pays special attention to this particular group of people. But I had a look at your website and you seem to have quite a range of medications and, and vaccines and several diagnostics that are in the pipeline of products that the EDCTP has been supporting. And I don't know how much of that is only within the neglected infectious diseases, but are any of these products within that pipeline close to the, the, the phase three, you know, like the, the finishing sort of end of the clinical trials and close to entering markets? Because I'm just very conscious of the fact that for a lot of these neglected infectious diseases, the toolbox is just so limited and there's a desperate need for expanding the treatment options that are available in the prevention options that are available to bring us closer to the goal of elimination. Thank you very much. Indeed, as I said, we are paying attention to these populations, but also when it comes to the medical interventions, we are looking at both development of new tools, but also improving and optimizing what exists as well. Uh, of interest, at the end of last year, we had uh, successful completion of a new product. This is uh, a dispersible pediatric praziquantel for treatment of schistosomiasis in preschool going children. This, is, uh, this was a phase three study and it delivered very uh, promising results. And I have to say that uh, beyond the pre-licensure study that were, uh, we've supported towards this, we've actually gone ahead to now also support the post-licensure studies that are going to follow. Uh, and this is to evaluate the implementation of the delivery of this product to the children that need it most. And this is work that is going on in Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa, in Kenya, in East Africa and in Uganda. And this is work that is involving broad collaboration. On the funder side, we are collaborating with um, GIHIT. This is uh, uh, a Japanese funding agency. And on the product development side, Mark Sirono in Germany is taking the lead on the development of this product. And in countries, it is actually collaboration with the ministries of health and the disease control programs for schistosomiasis. So really it is a broad collaboration and involving the population as well, because this kind of work also involves community liaison people that really speak to the people about the product and the benefit of this kind of research. 
and that's a very important aspect of actually clinical development, how you include the communities in the development of those products and the conduct of clinical trials. So I think that's an excellent approach that you took to the development of this, this uh, pediatric prosequantal, which is targeting children between three months to six years old um, at the preschool age, which was previously a neglected population because there was nothing suitable to, to, um, to target that group of children before they get into school to, in order to prevent. So now what is the significance of this development? You know, the fact that you have managed to bring a product targeting preschool children onto the market? Well, the importance of this is that uh, there is a need to uh, address preschool going children, because often uh, a problem like this, you'll find that it is, it used to be treated through mass drug administration at school where drugs would be given in mass. Uh, but we have a situation where you have children that are small, may not be able to take pills, especially pills that may not be palatable. Here is an option that is dispersible in a formulation that can easily be taken and palatable to children. So this encourages uh, you know, cooperation of the children to take the medication. But at the same time, uh, the development process itself has been highly collaborative with uh, we've been very intentional in developing uh, African leadership, scientific excellence and leadership. So the work in these countries is actually laid by African investigators in collaboration with their um, European counterparts and global partners. So in this case, you have a situation where you have local investigators that understand the local problems and local issues who tap into the global rich knowledge that is available there in the development of a product. That is a very important aspect of, of actually building that clinical research environment that is sustainable and can continue in the future to, to perform this nature of research targeting the specific needs that we face in our co communities in, in African countries. Now, just, just out of curiosity, Dr. Makanger, we have several challenges, of course, you know, one of which you're addressing, which is the lack of suitable um, treatments and preventive uh, therapies for, for the specific populations. But what would you say is the biggest single hurdle that is preventing or getting in the way of our ability to reach everybody in need of these kinds of preventive therapies, you know, during mass drug administration, besides the, the limited toolbox, what do you think is the biggest hurdle facing our communities? Well, this is a very multifaceted uh, question, I have to say. One is that um, for products to be available, that are suitable for use in the populations that need them. These products have to be evaluated in these settings. Otherwise, you have situations where you have products that may be evaluated elsewhere and brought in and implemented in settings that may not be appropriate. So one thing is that you need to have clinical research or clinical trials taking place 
within the context of the people that are going to use the medication. The second thing is there has to be uh, the local interest in terms of the local policymakers and governments investing in this research so that these products are developed, are co-developed. You may have external support, but you need to have the local interest to bring and develop interventions to treat problems. The third element is on issue of access. When products are evaluated, it is important that they are made available to the people that need them. This may require uh, investing uh, in procurement of these products so that there is resources to buy this, uh, to make these products available. But this also calls for the costing to be conducive. So normally these are issues that, that we take into account. When products are evaluated with public funding or with public-private funding, to make provisions for these products to be available to the people in which they evaluated. The third aspect is, uh, of course, the delivery mechanisms to make sure that uh, whatever is procured can be made accessible to the people that need it. Some of these people live in very remote environments and these products have to be delivered. Some of them have difficulty even getting to the uh, health, health centers to seek uh, medical attention. So you have to put measures in place to make sure that these products reach them. So, so with this question, you know, the last point you make about reaching the last mile where the greatest needs are, can you just talk to me a little bit about those supply chains in the last mile and how they are working out you know, for, for neglected tropical diseases? We know that for vaccines, we have UNICEF dealing with that. And for, the, for, for HIV, malaria, TB, we have the global fund. How is the supply chain for uh, neglected infectious diseases organized across the region? Well, I have to say that there isn't uh, a one-size-fits-all for all these interventions. If I may take the example of the pediatric praziquantel, this is uh, still finalizing the process of uh, registration. But once this is done, uh, one thing that is happening is already uh, looking into issues of local production. And in this case, Maxi Rono in Germany is beginning to talk to local manufacturers in the countries where these products are being evaluated and drawing lessons from other regions, uh, drawing lessons from Japan, drawing lessons from South America, and also drawing lessons from Germany itself to make sure that when this happens, the right uh, mapping and expectations are met. Because in this case, it doesn't matter where product is made, quality should not be compromised. So measures have to be put in place to ensure that when local production is fostered, it is done taking into account the quality expectations, maintaining the efficacy, and also the safety of the product once it is put on the market.
that's a really important point then ensuring that you know once you have supported the clinical development of those products looking at questions of how do we sustainably make sure that they can be produced and made available to to those communities that needs them and i guess local production is a very sound answer, particularly in, in, in the context of what we've seen during the COVID pandemic, where sometimes products aren't able to move across international borders. So the localization of production becomes a particularly important aspect because otherwise you would have then these programs, these preventive programs falling behind because you aren't able to bring the products in. And of course, at some point, if there's over-reliance on a single manufacturer, if you don't have adequate production capacity, then you can also run into problems with your supply chain security. So, so that's really reassuring to hear that some of your work is considering those very important aspects. Now, in your previous point, you talked about the need to make sure that research you know, the testing, the clinical testing of these products is done in relevant populations to make sure that we have the right kind of data to support the treatment guidelines for how those products ought to be used in these specific populations. But there is also the challenge that if you take a broader perspective, we don't have adequate clinical trials. We don't have nearly enough clinical testing of products being done on the continent. So now, how big is the gap in the amount of clinical research that is being done on the African continent? And how does this limitation in the range of clinical research being done on the continent affect us as ordinary Africans? Thank you. This is a very important question, because when you look at the population of Africa, we are sitting at around 1.2 billion people. And this represents about 17.5% of the global population. So it is substantial. And yet, at the moment, uh, the percentage of clinical trials taking place in Africa, sitting between 25 to 3%, which is a small population. I mean, it's a small percentage. Uh, but that said, Africa presents a unique opportunity to carry out uh, these clinical trials. Because at the end of the day, if we are going to have um, suitable medications or interventions to fight these neglected, uh, neglected infectious diseases, these are diseases that are endemic in Africa, meaning that if you are to evaluate them, the evaluation has to take place in Africa. Secondly, uh, we have different population profiles. Uh, most of our populations are very young compared to some of the other countries. And in any case, uh, if you are going to evaluate this, you have to take this into account. The population profile where these products are going to be used, taking into account the age, the gender, and the social determinants of health. Because all these are factors that impact on the effectiveness of these products. Now, to know, uh, this, to establish the safety of these products, to establish the efficacy of, this, uh, of these products, that is evaluating them in a controlled environment, and later on, 
establishing the effectiveness that is evaluating these products in the real life environment, taking into account all these confounding factors, including social determinants of health, uh, the health system where these are going to be rolled out, and the settings where people live, the remoteness, for example, from the health systems. Taking all these into account, you need to evaluate these products. So this comes to the point that the gap is big and it should not be ignored because if we are going to have products that work, they have to be evaluated in Africa. That is indeed a large gap. 17% of the global population and between less than 3% of clinical trials. That, that is quite a gap and, and, and actually almost quite daunting to think that it can be filled. And, and I guess that is part of the reason why the EDCTP exists and why you're doing what you're doing. So what is it that the EDCTP is and, and its partners are, are doing to actively change this you know, very grim scenario um, in terms of the level of, of clinical research being done on the continent? Thank you. What is encouraging though, the gap is big, but looking at the trajectory of clinical trials in the last close to 20 years, it is growing. We are having increasing number of clinical trials. Although that said, uh, there are some countries that are doing more than others. And this is because they're investing more also locally in their science and technology initiatives. Countries like um, South Africa uh, doing much more, and some countries that may not be in our remit, for example, in Egypt, they are doing much more. But in the middle there, we have a number of countries that are coming up, um, East African countries, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania. We're having a lot that is happening in Zambia and Zimbabwe. We are having a lot that is happening and growing in West African countries, countries like Senegal, um, Ghana, Nigeria, it's in, the numbers are increasing. And um, even where we had challenges of language in countries like Burkina Faso, um, I've mentioned Senegal, Mali, clinical trials on the increase. Even where we used to have what initially was called the empty corridor in Central Africa, we now have quality clinical trials happening in countries um, like Gabon and um, um, Congo, Brazzaville, this is on the increase. What is being done differently? One, uh, we are paying attention to the three Ps. One is the people. That is developing scientific excellence and developing scientific leadership. And this we do through a range of things. We have a very comprehensive fellowship program that covers the continuum of development of scientists so that they can be able to develop their scientific questions in partnership with their counterparts, addressing the local needs and fostering for collaboration as well. Second is developing the systems, systems for conducting clinical trials and that is uh, for the clinical trials, but also on the side of the regulatory, ethics and regulatory. The third uh, is more now on the infrastructure development. We've been very intentional in developing the clinical trials infrastructure in the continent. This is important to have sustainability. And this requires buy-in 
uh, of the countries. And that's why you see that in our partnership, although we have the funding that is coming from the European Union, it is in partnership with the African counterparts, co-funding these activities, some of them contributing in kind, but making sure that they make a contribution. And this helps to sustain the um, research capacity. That is great that you are now focusing, part of your work is focusing on developing that basic infrastructure, the, the foundation that you need to, to build a thriving clinical research environment, the laboratories, the, you know, the, the clinics and, and the pharmacies and, and all of those things that you need, including community buy-in to, to get people actually participating in those clinical trials. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, how people are responding to that. But just tell me, Dr. Makanga, why is it that sponsors of clinical trials have been less willing to do clinical trials or clinical research on the continent, even though you mentioned how much of a great opportunity it is, you know, indicating that there is huge potential for, for, for sponsors to, to benefit from this enormous uh, potential resource for, for clinical research, and yet they have been reluctant to go there. Is it a problem of perception or lack of funding? What is it that has been making sponsors reluctant to do clinical research on the continent? Well, again, this is multifaceted. One is that um, investors, uh, when you talk about um, regulatory trials, uh, they always look at the risk that is involved and minimizing risk. And in this case, they tend to go uh, where they have a track history, where they know the partners involved. And uh, a number of centers are developing now and establishing and making information known about the capacity that exists. And of course, the capacity that the gaps that need to be developed. So this is one that there is limited visibility of what exists and there is a fear of increased risk. Uh, secondly, the capacity to do regulatory trials requires to be, once built, it needs to be sustained. And um, this requires continued use of the developed capacity. And that is linking capacity development for clinical trials with its utilization. And uh, this calls for diversification of the capacity that is, that is developed so that the centers can be able to engage, for example, in infectious disease research and development, in non-communicable disease research and development, injury-related research, I mean, uh, studies, so that both, rather, the systems the people and the infrastructure are optimally used. So that needs to be done. The other bit is also on the side of the populations. Populations also need to be sensitized about clinical trials. In some settings, you'll find that there is a fear for individuals participating in clinical trials. And this is because of the information that is uh, either misinformation or people not being uh, educated about clinical trials. And this is not only people that participate in clinical trials, 
but also the people in leadership positions, their position about uh, conducting clinical research and clinical trials. So this requires education about clinical trials. And the other area that needs uh, attention, of course, to increase the number of uh, clinical trials is uh, making sure that attention is paid towards academic trials and regulatory trials. And this requires more partnership. We are increasingly having academic institutions collaborating with product development partners so that we have good, a combination of good science, but also research and development taking place, taking products forward for licensure and making them available to people that need them. That was the first part of Let's Talk About Health in Africa with me, Lenias Wenda, in conversation with Dr. Michael Makanga, the Executive Director of the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership, EDCTP. Thank you for listening. Join me, Lenia Swenda, in the second part of my conversation with Dr. Michael Makanga, the Executive Director of the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership. Quite a lot of issues that you have um, highlighted there uh, in terms of you know, some of the limitations. So let's just unpack that uh, for a moment. So let's start with the fear of clinical trials that, that we, we, we see in, in, in some of our communities. And, and there's a genuine fear, I think, amongst um, African people that you know, products would be tested and, and untoward experiments that are unethical might be done on them. So I recently saw um, uh, something from the MHRA in the UK where they are trying to update their legislation in order to encourage participation. They want to make the UK um, more attractive to clinical trials, and they're doing a public consultation for people to contribute to, to what it is that the legislation should be capturing in terms of addressing what people's uh, needs are in terms of participation in clinical trials. What else should we be doing on the African continent, into, you know, our governments, in particular the regulators, in terms of addressing those fears besides the engagement, the consistent, sustained engagement that we need to have with communities? Thank you. That's a very important question. One is that it's important to communicate the benefits of clinical research, the benefits of clinical trials. And this requires uh, feeding back results to the people in a way uh, that they understand. And this is something that we are trying continually to do. When we conduct any clinical research, any clinical trials, through the community liaison officers to make sure that this, the results of these trials, the results of these studies are fed back in the communities that contribute to them. Secondly, at the level of the policymakers, when these studies are done, even before they are done, in the formulation of questions, in the conceptualization of these studies, engaging the policymakers uh, so that they are part 
part and parcel of the process. Because at the end of the day, when the results are generated, they don't stay just in the scientific circles. Policy briefs are generated that also inform the policymakers, who in turn speak to the people that are in their communities uh, when uh, these are involved also in political talk. The other element is um, more on the side of um, the support for the, for the studies themselves. When the support is both from outside and internally, especially when this research is driven from the ground with support from the governments, there is more trust. When there is buy-in and leadership from the countries, there is more trust in what is being conducted. What, is, what should be discouraged is the kind of uh, helicopter research or people that come and conduct research and they go away uh, taking results with them. Research should be done to the benefit of the people in countries. And that will limit the fear and involvement uh, in clinical trials. Community leadership that you mentioned there, very, very important, I think. I had a conversation about how uh, the last push for polio eradication, wild polio virus eradication in, in, in Nigeria and what made the difference. And it was really the engagement, putting leaders in the community at the forefront of that effort and getting them to actually talk to their communities on why that was necessary that people vaccinate their children. And, and I guess it is the same thing that you're talking about here that we have to carry not just the communities through the community leaders, but also policymakers and in involving them in that process of building up the questions that needs to be addressed in a particular you know, national environment where you are having such a conversation. One of the limitations uh, that has been pointed out, uh, that was pointed out during the webinar that we had on clinical research in Africa is the perception of weak regulatory capacity for, for, for performing ethical clinical trials by sponsors. Talk to us about the, what is happening. Uh, you, you indicated there's quite a lot happening in terms of improvements on the continent. Do African countries now have harmonized regulatory guidelines and standard operating procedures for sponsors who wish to conduct clinical trials in, for example, multiple countries at the same time in the region? And um, you know, what, what can be done to change these perceptions using you know, what has been happening, the progress that you're seeing on the ground. Thank you very much. I have to say that this is work in progress. We are seeing the environment uh, dynamically changing over the last um, 20 years. We have a situation where we had countries uh, that had both functional ethics and regulatory um, bodies at the national in terms of uh, ethics committees, those that had national ethics committees and also institutional committees. And on the regulatory side, that had functional national medicines uh, um, regulation, uh, regulatory bodies. 
And then there are those that only had the ethics and didn't have the regulatory bodies. And there are those that had nothing. And over time, this has been developing. Um, and I have to compliment a number of initiatives that have uh, contributed to this. Our organization has been involved uh, through different grants contributing to the strengthening of capacity of the ethics and regulatory environment. The World Health Organization has done um, a very significant role. And this is through AVARIF, uh, Africa Vaccines Regulatory Forum, which brings together regulators from different countries working together uh, where they may be able to discuss issues and also to discuss applications jointly while providing for these countries to go back and exercise their sovereignty to evaluate the applications at the country level. So those efforts are in place that are allow for collaborative reviews and also capacitating others that are less endowed. And then through the African Union uh, Development Agency, Aouda NEPAT, they've been um, harmonization efforts. And this is uh, through the regional economic communities where they've been bringing together the national regulatory agencies of the different countries uh, to build the harmonization process. Now, at the country level, uh, the, there are two sets of reviews. You have the ethics review of research applications, and you also have the regulatory review where investigational products are involved. In this case, uh, some of the countries that may not have functional or fully functional regulatory bodies, they may rely rather on the on AVRIF to do joint reviews and then they go home and they do evaluate on their own. So with this in the background, you will notice that it is a very heterogeneous picture. Some countries have the capacity, others have intermediate capacity and others it's still limited. So when you have uh, multi-center clinical trials, uh, this may present a bottleneck in some countries that this may be delayed because they have limited capacity in terms of personnel, in terms of processes, and also uh, in terms of the infrastructure to handle this. So we have, we're seeing this heterogeneity in terms of capabilities that countries have in, you know, in their capacity to, to evaluate approvals for clinical trials. And, and then you have the initiatives like AVREF that you just mentioned, which is trying to promote collaboration in order to, to at least complement those with less capacity with, you know, by working with those with, uh, with, with greater capacity in that. And then you mentioned the African Union Development Agency at NEPARD with Margaret and, and, and everybody who have been working uh, towards the harmonization process. Now, how do you bring all of this together? So we've just had the African Medicines Agency ratified on the 5th of November last year in 2021. How are we going to bring all of this, the efforts of the AVREF 
Initiative and the African Medicines um, Agency in order to have a single body that is able to actually provide that capacity on a continental level so that when we have a situation like we had in this pandemic, where we need to be having a conversation as a continent in terms of performing clinical trials and, or, or attracting clinical uh, research on the continent to make sure we are represented in that development process that is done in a systematic way as a body, not as individual countries. How are we going to bring all of this together? What conversations are you having about that? Well, uh, on this front, again, I have to compliment um, Aude and that have been leading the Africa Medicines Regulatory Harmonization Initiative, because this has um, taken forward at the African Union level, the development of the African Union model law on medical products regulation. Now, for this to be functional, uh, there are different things that have to be uh, done, and it also requires cooperation and buy-in of the countries so that this can really be uh, optimally domesticated and implemented. This is the only way that the laws, the regulations, and provisions of the member states pertaining to um, clinical trial regulation will be addressed uh, on a continental level. That has to uh, happen, and I'm hoping that this will happen through the um, Africa Medicines Agency when it becomes fully functional. Just like in Europe, you have the European Medicines Agency, which has uh, the, uh, in the case of the European Union, you have the Clinical Trials Directive, uh, which has the clinical trial regulations that really uh, lays out all these elements to ensure that clinical trials are conducted based on good clinical practice, while at the same time, the population in terms of the appropriate levels of protection of the public health is also ensured. So that is something that needs to be in place on the side of the African continent. Yes, you mentioned the European Medicines Agency and the directive that they use to make sure that, you know, uh, things are done appropriately in member states. I read recently uh, the agency, the European Medicines Agency, released um, a call, an announcement that they, 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 they basically, national regulators within the EU, uh, we're going to launch an initiative to change the way clinical trials are designed and run so that as a block, they can you know, become a, a focal point for, for clinical research. Or I, I don't know whether they're trying to have a single reference point for all of the member states, but um, in terms of the, the African Medicines Agency then and, and how we approach this, the same question on the African continent. The model law that has already been developed with the leadership of the AUDA NEPAD, for instance, does it already do what the European Medicines Agency is trying to do? Or uh, you know, to what extent does it incorporate that aspect of having a single focal point that can be a reference point for all of the member states? 
to be honest, I do not know yet because uh, I don't have the details of the uh, African Union. I mean, the, the Africa Medicines Agency that is in the formative uh, process and the implementation of the Africa model law. But this, the way this works, it works two ways. One, uh, you need to have functional uh, clinical trials regulation at the country level and at the regional level. Uh, it is a good thing to have a harmonized approach, but the harmonization should not be at the expense of the uniqueness that may be in countries. So they, this should provide a model on which the national initiative should build on so that you have some elements that can apply across the countries while the uniqueness of the countries uh, can also be uh, accommodated. The reason I talk about the uniqueness of countries, you may find, for example, uh, when it comes to the classification of children, it may be different. When you talk about minors in South Africa, it may be different when you talk about minors in Ethiopia. And this may relate to the country uniqueness. And some of these elements are important to be, uh, to be respected uh, in countries. Uh, but have say, having said that, it should not this should not thwart the efforts of harmonization and making it easier for product development while protecting the interests of the people. That's clear. You need to, to preserve aspects of the uniqueness that can be beneficial, you know, that are unique to that environment whilst also harnessing the, the common elements that are, uh, you know, shared amongst the different uh, agencies and, and, and uh, national authorities. Now, what about data? The digitization of electronic health records and so forth. Is that something that the EDCTP is looking at? Because obviously that would be something particularly beneficial to this whole objective of improving um, the way we are doing clinical research on the continent and, and perhaps doing the kind of research that allows us to, to improve upon the clinical guidelines and, and how we use medications within our specific context, which is quite different from where the context where a lot of the medications that we are currently using in our clinics, in our hospitals have been developed without being tested on the African continent. Yes, talking about digitization, this is a very important development. And this has been heightened by the advent of COVID-19. Uh, increasingly, uh, we see that there is a movement towards digital, increased digital aspects of the clinical trials. Now, this includes uh, digitization of the case report forms where the personal data, uh, clinical data of patients uh, captured. But this also has another important element and that is handling of the integration of the clinical research or the clinical trials with patient records and their patient management. Uh, this is uh, a sensitive area 
uh, in Europe because of the uh, personal data protection. And of course, um, in on the African side, the regulations on this front have not been fully developed. Um, but that bearing in mind that there is collaboration, this is an area that is being developed and we are trying as much as possible to encourage the digital development because this in in improves on a number of things. It improves on the sharing of information. It improves on the tapping in of resources, even where you have limited resources. To give you an example, if you are conducting a study that is involving uh, post-mortems or that is involving need for pathologists to, to comment on some specimen, with digital technology, you're able to tap into resources from multiple countries in a country where you may have only one pathologist. Where you have sharing of uh, multiple clinical trials and where something has been flagged, information can be shared very quickly, again, digitally, while protecting the interest and protected data. Uh, so this is something that is very important and we are investing in increased digital technology. Additionally, when you talk about patient follow-up, you know, you have to follow up patients uh, after they enrolled in clinical trials. During this time of COVID where you have social distancing, you have uh, closure of clinics and all that, and follow up of these uh, patients or individuals in their homes may be compromised. Digital technology linked to cell phone use may be helpful in the capturing of adverse events from the communities in the people that are involved. So these are areas that are being developed increasingly to improve the way clinical trials are managed, are conducted, and also improving the quality control uh, in the conduct of these clinical trials. Yeah, so it's, it's very clear that digitization, once you've dealt with all of the issues about how you balance the protection of data for patients and so forth, it, it, it has enormous benefits for contributing to creating the kind of environment that is enabling for the conduct of clinical research on the continent to serve the needs of African people. Now, you have been investing yourself as uh, EDCTP and others who have been involved in this space, you've been investing in a number of ways to, to create a clinical research environment that is sustainable and, and can, can go into the future serving the needs of African patients. What will it take for us you know, to get to the point where we need to get to from, from the less than 3% of research that we are seeing at the moment to getting to a level where we are conducting a certain threshold of clinical research on the continent that we say, yes, we can be comfortable with this, you know, and we can be assured that we are, you know, guided by data generated in relevant African populations on the continent. What are the most important things that you would like to see um, yourselves and others investing in what must happen for us to get there? Thank you very much. Um, one, I'll 
say that uh, cooperation and partnership. I have to say, for example, on the African front, I'm really grateful to the efforts of the Africa CDC during the COVID response and uh, lessons that we are learning from COVID that increasingly we are working and cooperating with them and they're also working with other partners in epidemic preparedness for in terms of clinical response and also integrating whatever is done in terms of uh, response to the epidemics to uh, research preparedness as well. So that is important on the side of the partners that are investing uh, in these efforts to minimize fragmentation and increase collaboration. Secondly, uh, it is very important that the countries that host the clinical research, the countries that host the clinical trials, invest more uh, in clinical research to increase the resources available, but also to promote the sustainability uh, of the investments that are put in place. Thirdly, to pay special attention to the bottlenecks for clinical research. One is paying attention to increasing the research infrastructure paying special attention to the workforce development. Workforce development in terms of excellence and leadership from in countries. Uh, you really need champions to take this to the next level. And the champions have to be from in countries. The other area that needs attention is on the processes. And this is where uh, ethics and regulatory capacity needs more investment. This is investment at the institutional level, investment at the national level, and investment at the regional level, so that there is more collaboration and a more harmonized approach addressing the issue of clinical research or clinical trials. And at the continental level, of course, we really need uh, the taking the Africa model law to the next level where it will be fully functional as we have the clinical trials directive in the case of the European Union. That is uh, quite a menu of things that needs to happen, minimizing fragmentation, increasing collaboration, investing sustainably and addressing bottlenecks in infrastructure and workforce development, investing in process development, regulatory processes, ethical processes at all levels, community, national and regional and continental level, and just making sure that we, we, we are bringing all of this together. Dr. Michael Makanga, the Executive Director of the European and Developing Countries Clinical Partnerships Initiative, EDCTP, thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Talk About Health in Africa. It's my great pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for watching. Please support us by following us on social media or subscribing to our YouTube channel or any of our audio channels on Spotify or Apple Podcast. We would love to hear from you, so please do get in touch with your feedback and comments. Thanks for watching.